for the sake of our candidates and our policies we believe in, that's not the image of our party that I wanted to see. And I knew we could do better. You know, in Massachusetts, we talked about the fact on the statewide level, we have a long history of electing fiscally conservative governors. And when you have the head of a party projecting an image of negativity, it's just not compatible. And it's just not something that that voters want to support. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to Political Contessa. This is Jennifer Nassor, and I am your Political Contessa. Today, I have with me a guest who hasn't been on yet, Amy Carnavale, who um, is a government affairs advisor. However, more importantly and more interesting to me is that she is the new chairman of the Massachusetts Republican Party. If you've listened to my podcast in the past, you know that I have been hard hitting against the former chairman of the Mass Republican Party, who will not be named. He's he's kind of like a character out of Harry Potter at this point for me, that we will not speak his name as he destroyed the Republican Party up here in Massachusetts, tore to shreds. Good work from many, many great state committee members and legislators and our former governor and uh, former chairman like myself. He just kind of took and lit on fire along with lots of money. So I, for one, was incredibly supportive of our new party chair, not only because I've known her for a long time, not only because she was a state committee woman for 10 years, which is not a qualification, but she actually knew the party. And she is smart, and thoughtful and kind and considerate and open-minded and will hear all sides of the story and everyone's perspective and do what is good for the party and not what is good for her own ego, which I think is very important for a party leader to do what is good for the entire party. So today, please welcome Amy Carnavale. Amy. Hey, thanks very much for having me on. Looking forward to uh, speaking with your viewers. I've been wanting to get you on, but you walked into a shit show of, you know, bills and things being all over the place and trying to figure out where everything was. And so I I really didn't want to bug you. And um, Amy and I had some technological issues right before this. My generation was not taught computers other than like MS-DOS in high school. And uh, so sometimes when there's a technological issue... I have no idea, and it takes me twice as long as it probably, or four times that it would take my 11-year-old. But here we are. And so now I can finally get you on, and you don't look like your hair has turned gray, and, and you gained wrinkles, and you know you you are about to have a heart attack. You, you look phenomenal. So 
How's it going? So, you know, first thing, thanks again for having me on. So it's exciting. It, you know, it's a new day for the mass GOP. Uh, you know, we have turned a chapter, you know, looking ahead to recruiting solid candidates to run in competitive uh, districts uh, across the Commonwealth. You know, my philosophy is if you identify yourself as a Republican, you're welcome in our party. Uh, and frankly, it's sad to say that that is a shift uh, from our the former leadership that that we had previously. And, you know, it's as party chair, my philosophy is it's not my job to pick winners and losers, but, you know, I welcome you to the to the party and we're going to support your candidacy, um, regardless of where you may lay, lay on the political spectrum. Um, just thinking about Massachusetts itself, you know, our registered Republicans right now are less than 9%. So in order to win elections, we have to reach out to independents, um, which in Massachusetts are technically unenrolled voters, and that's over 60% of the electorate. So a majority right there is are unenrolled. So my job as party chair is not only to support those Republicans in our party, but when fielding candidates, we need to reach out to those unenrolled Republicans who often tend to be fiscally conservative and vote fiscally conservative. So I'm excited for the task ahead and, and, and have, having a lot of fun so far. You have such a good perspective. You know, it's it's sad that you do have to say that, right? That you're welcoming everyone in and that big that big tent kind of viewpoint. I try to explain to people all the time whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, it doesn't matter, right? It's kind of like being a Catholic and, you know, and this is like perfect timing around Easter to say this, but it's like, you know, I forget what my friends used to call them, the Catholics that would just go to church Ash Wednesday, Palm Sunday, Easter and Christmas. Right. And then there's like people who go to church every single day or my mother that, you know, goes to church every day during Lent. There are the people who go to church every Sunday. And that's the same thing in in politics. You can't you can't assume just because you all live under the same umbrella that everyone has the same exact views. We're all raised so differently. We all have different philosophical beliefs which come into play in our politics. And it's more important, I think, to reach out to folks who feel disenfranchised in their beliefs and say, come here, we have a home for you. And wherever you fall is great. And I, you know, I see a lot more in Massachusetts. I think our party registration really is a lot higher than that. But number one, the Republican name was soiled so much by the last guy, even though people loved our former governor, Charlie Baker, he really had people who loved him on both sides of the aisle and hated him on both sides of the aisle. You know, but to actually call yourself a Republican, I think, you know, there are lots of people who are very fiscally conservative. I just read some statistics recently that three quarters of Massachusetts folks that were polled believe that we should have lower taxes and be more prudent in how we are spending the money here, as opposed to one quarter that believe that we should continue to raise taxes and just throw money at every single program. And I think that that speaks volumes as to what the Republican Party in Massachusetts really can be if if we are able to focus our attention. But that's me prognosticating and, you know, whatever, telling you exactly what you know. I'm more interested in some other stuff because I, I hope to have you on. I hope that you're a frequent guest because I think we're going to be hitting a lot of things. You know, right now there are two open legislative seats. Unfortunately, they're in the city of Boston and you just got there and it's not time yet 
for running and talking about races. And that's down the line. More importantly, I'm always interested in how my guests got to where they are. What what motivated you and propelled you and and you have a, a great ascension through politics and now as party chair. Um, give us your story. Sure. So uh, thanks for the question. So, you know, I honestly trace it back to my days in high school as a teenager. I can remember, you know, this, this, these were the days of kind of Ronald Reagan. And, you know, I can I can actually say, you know, I believe I started as a Republican because of Ronald Reagan's optimism for our future, kind of on the heels of Jimmy Carter and the the high inflation that we had and economic uncertainty. I, I remember Reagan really projecting this kind of positive image of, of what America could be, uh, the morning in America. So I remember hearing about a, a candidate who was running for state representative in my home district, a female, by the way, and I, I wanted to be part of it. And so I, I reached out and said, you know, how can I help? And and she said, well, well, I have some door knockers. Would you be willing to to go door to door? And I said, of course. And so she came by and I think she was expecting somebody in their 20s or 30s and then was surprised to find kind of a, a younger teenager. And um, But happily. And so that that frankly got me started. And I d- had decided on a school trip to Washington, D.C. that I love the city. I love the energy of politics and policy and just the the vibe that you get in, in DC that really kind of being part of that um that energy and change. Um so I applied to a couple different schools in, in DC, got into George Washington University. Within a month, I was interning at the White House. At the time, uh this was the George H.W. Bush administration. Our director of presidential personnel uh was the national committee man from Massachusetts, Ron Kaufman, who is actually uh, still in that position of national committee man. So I took an internship working right in the White House, which was unbelievable as an 18-year-old. And I worked there on and off for three years. It was a fabulous experience. And that just got me hooked on policy and politics. Uh, from there, I got a, a part-time job at the in the drug czar's office. Uh, and then at the end of the H.W. Bush administration, the beginning of the Clinton administration, I worked to, went to work for a think tank for about a year. And then from there, uh, it was the so-called Republican Revolution when Republicans took control of the House of Representatives um, for the first time in, in decades. And I interviewed uh, for two positions on Capitol Hill. I was offered a position with Senator Fred Thompson at the time uh, from Tennessee as a legislative correspondent. So it's kind of a starting level position in the U.S. Senate. And then I was also offered a position as legislative assistant for Congressman George Nethercutt from Spokane, Washington. He had come to office. He had just beaten the incumbent Speaker of the House, Tom Foley. And I was offered a legislative assistant there. And I ended up accepting that position. So it was a fabulous experience. I worked uh, working, you know, learning about issues that, uh, frankly, coming from Massachusetts, I, I didn't know a lot about the natural resources issues, farm issues, forestry and it was a fabulous learning environment. Any of your listeners who are thinking about working on Capitol Hill as an internship, I say, you know, by all means, you it's an excellent experience. You learn so much about people, interacting with people, the, the issues they care about. So I worked on those natural resources issues as well as healthcare, labor policy, and I worked there for 10 years um, before then tr- coming back home to Massachusetts. Wow. I'm just going to say, I didn't know that you interviewed with Fred Thompson. I loved him. 
loved him. I loved him as an actor. I loved him as an elected official. Oh, that's so cool. It was a hard decision. Honestly, I was torn because here we have, you know, the celebrity Fred Thompson. Right, exactly. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I totally would have gone with the celebrity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, I, you know, the other choice, you had a little more of a higher level position as a legislative assistant. And my thought was, you know, in a, in a house office, you interact with the member of Congress a little more directly. And I think I would have been fine either way. But it is interesting to think, you know, look back and think about how your career trajectory kind of changes based on the decisions you make early in life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So my my claim to fame is um, Senator Al D'Amato. He was my senator living in New York, and he was also my professor in grad school. He taught one class a semester. And it was an early morning seminar, which in grad school, you don't have early morning classes, but he would teach class before he went back to D.C. And his nickname was Senator Pothole as, you know, working on the Hill, I'm sure you knew. And I just I was young. I worked in the New York State legislature and I would see him and then I would tell everyone about, you know, what he was doing. And it was like the highlight of my life. And always running into him. And I swear it it shaped my views on politics and how you could get things done by just knowing him and working with him. And I actually wrote a paper around Whitewater when it happened. And I was watching C-SPAN because, you know, I, I worked in the legislature and we had it on. And there's D'Amato, like basically reciting my paper. Then I get it back and I had an A++. And if this podcast ever gets to him, it would be hysterical because he ran into me years later and he was like, yep, you're exactly the same as you were when you were a grad student. And I honestly, it was like, you could talk about my paper all day long (laughs) if you want and use my information as long as a United States senator is like using my research as like data points. It was so cool. But, you know, you and I have have that background of being in politics, which I think as a party chair, right, I, I don't think you just wake up one day and you even know what the hell a party chair even does or have a desire to do it. Right. But it's it's watching the political process, whether it's the legislative process or watching elections, watching politics, being involved in some way that makes you understand how things really should work better than most other people could even envision, right? How it how it's supposed to work. Again, pointing out you walked into a shit show and your your, your runway is a little bit different than than most people. Yeah. So maybe I'll jump in right now it, right here and I think, you know, talk about why I ran for party chair because I think it's, you know, your listeners might find that interesting. So I, you know, even though, you know, I've just described how I've been involved in policy and politics, you know, for 10 years working on Capitol Hill, even, even before that. And then when I came back to Massachusetts, I ran for a position on the Republican State Committee, mostly just to keep a, a you know an arm in in politics and policy in Massachusetts because I felt as a Republican, you know, I do feel that it's important that kind of the policies and representation start at the grassroots. And so I I, I really wanted to kind of continue to be involved, and I was encouraged by my town committee, which is the group of Republicans in your local town, to to run for this position. So. But never in a million years did I ever think I would run for party chair, ever. It's a position that, 
you, you can take a lot of criticism from various parts of the party, whether it be grassroots, elected officials, you know, there, there's lots of ways um, you can be criticized in this position. And it's a high visibility position too, um, especially in today's day and age with social media. It's a tough position. Never thought I would do it. But I care about policy in the party. And we had gotten to a point, and I think you've talked about this in your past podcast, that we had leadership of our party who was excluding kind of broad swaths of the Republican Party and kind of feeding into that negativity that I think too often can characterize politics. And for the sake of our candidates and our policies we believe in, that's not the image of our party that I wanted to see. And I knew we could do better. You know, in Massachusetts, we talked about the fact on the statewide level, we have a long history of electing fiscally conservative governors. And when you have the head of a party projecting an image of negativity, it's just not compatible. And it's just not something that that voters want to support. So I looked around and said, you know, oh, I think he would he would make a great party chair. She would make a great party chair. And then kind of we all talked about it and then kind of the list got smaller. Uh, and then we thought about, you know, who who might make sense. And then it somehow it, it came to me. And so, you know, I, I didn't want to just com- be somebody who complains. You know, at some point, if you care about something deeply enough, you just have to take that responsibility to say, if you want to want that change, you have to be part of it and you have to own it and step forward and not be afraid to take that leadership role, whether it's party chair or, you know, some even something more locally. You think about maybe running for your for your school committee locally or just stepping up locally at the local level. If, if you feel that something's not being done correctly or not projecting that image of positivity and leadership, then don't be afraid to step forward. Yep. I always say you can be part of the problem or part of the solution, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's like people who don't vote. I don't know how you don't vote and then you you think you can complain about what's going on. If you don't vote, you have you lose your right to complain. You have to step up there. And and you stepped up in a very, very massive, massive way with a gigantic public fight with folks, which is so interesting to me. I remember the former Democratic Party chair would say to me, you get beat up more by your own people than you do by my people. Right. And it's the nastiness that comes from your own party because you're trying to do something that is so selfless. Whether you do a great job or you do a horrible job, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're the Republican Party chairwoman. You are either winning elections or not. Regardless of what you do, there are people who are never, ever going to be happy. But, you know, what I try to tell friends who are not like us, didn't didn't go to school and get degrees in political science and haven't worked in politics their whole life, but being an advocate for something for your neighborhood, for a cause, for some issue that you truly are passionate about can sometimes lead to running for office. Or if not, it might inspire someone else to run for office, which I think is one of the things that I find amazing about my friends that are real advocates and super passionate about issues is that there are other people who pick up on that that might want to take that forward. 
So you were on the state committee. So you were on the state committee for 10 years. You got a firsthand view of, of what it is. And, you know, I mean, for, for purposes of, of you out there, I know that this is like, this is so inside baseball, but I think what's really important about what Amy did was exactly what we were just talking about. One, she knew enough about the political process and about how politics should actually work. Two, she saw that something was going bad and going off the rails and wanted to make a difference. And three, she put herself out there. And with putting herself out there, she also put her family out there and she put her career out there. And, you know, when you run for office, any type of office, you're really like showcasing your underwear for everyone because you're just so exposed, especially today. But what you might not know about Amy is she's a wife and she's a mom and she's a professional and, you know, all those things. And she's still standing. And so it can be done in this way. And, you know, just a little pitch for Amy and hopefully you'll pitch it too. But just like any elected official I've ever had on here or any organization I've ever had on, you need two things. You need advocates or you need people who are helping you, people who are volunteering for you. In Amy's case, it's also running for office. And you also need donors. You need people who will participate and help you and show that there is belief in what you're doing. And that could be $5,000. I know you're laughing at me right now. Or it could be $50. It could just be, you know, hey, I heard Amy and and I believe in her and I'm going to give my my wine bottle money for the day to Amy because she's going to do a great job. So that's my pitch for you. But Amy, what, what do you see as, because I want to keep this positive because I think that we, especially Massachusetts, and, and I know that there are lots of states, you know, and for you out there and, you know, you live across the country and my friends in Colorado and Michigan and New Mexico and California. And I know when we all talk about this, it's like my state isn't as bad as your state. My state's worse than your state. Connecticut, we do this, all, by the way, we do this all the time and and have these conversations. Um, but Massachusetts is really a disaster. I mean, we have, what, 25 Republican me- members of the legislature out of 200. Yes, 25 out of 200. We have less than 9% voter registration. All elected office holders are Democrats on the statewide and the federal level. But interesting point, the Republican Party chair is a female. The Democratic Party chair is a male. And all uh, statewide elected office holders at this point, except for one, are females. They're all Democrats, but we have lots of very, very female focused state. But what do you think are the positives going forward for us? I mean, I thought there were lots of positives when the Democrats were totally in control when I was chair. So, you know, you have to see that, you know, when you kind of come out from all the paperwork and the stuff that you walked into But from a chair perspective, at the end of the day, it's about winning elections. Where do you see? Do you see that there's some light in 2024, 26, 28? I mean, it doesn't have to be this isn't a a today thing. Yeah, you know, change sometimes takes time. And so we try to keep kind of expectations in check. But it starts with the messaging. That's well underway. I, I my early day, I've been in office two months now. And I've yet to decline a media interview. So I've, I'm trying to talk to the media. 
former chair did did not talk to the media really at all. And I, I've yet to decline a, a media interview. So I, I want to talk about the vision for the party. And I want to talk about how we want to attract candidates as well as voters and grow the party. Because I think that articulating that vision through the media, which reaches the the voters and, and potential candidates is, is really important. So right now it's candidate recruitment. And, you know, we're starting to hear from some candidates, you know, kind of tapping their their toes in the water, kind of thinking about running for office, you know, and it's my job to to really encourage them, you know, to do that. And to, even though, you know, the party is still rebuilding its coffers and was left in, as you, you said, in some debt, <laughs> you know, we can support candidates in other ways and to help them get their message out, provide training. Um, so there's lots of ways a party can support a candidate. And so those are the things I'm talking to candidates about um, how we can support them, you know, in keeping, again, you know, thinking about those races that are winnable and making the extra effort to recruit candidates in those particular races. Because you're right, it's it's about candidate recruitment. In the end of the day, it's about getting more Republicans elected to office. And it's not just the state rep seats. You know, you think lower level rebuilding the the bench is important too, because that's been neglected for a number of years. So we think about, you know, some of the town elections, the city and town elections, and because that's where we kind of grow future candidates to run for state representatives. So we were thinking about the school boards and the selectmen positions. So even thinking about those those offices now will help us come to for six years from now. Amy and I did not discuss this before, but my sweet spot are those very, very local elections. So I'm happy that you hit on that because recently, so there's a town in Massachusetts that has a school board and some crazy policies. It's a, it's actually a city and a group of teachers, administrators, parents got together and said, we actually want to have kind of an advisory council. And that was voted down. And it's like, how do you how does that happen? Right. And and I think that it's so important as parents of school age kids to encourage parents to get involved on those school boards, because one of the things that we all learned from covid was maybe things aren't aren't going like we thought they were. And, you know, maybe it's more important to go to your town meetings and your city council meetings and your school board meetings and your planning meetings to see what's actually going on. Because at the end of the day, I one point I have try to hammer home with everyone. This is taxpayer dollars that are being put to work. And unless everyone has a seat at the table, meaning both parties and all of these positions are nonpartisan or supposed to be. So it doesn't matter what your party affiliation is, even if you're an independent, but you're more right leaning. Hopefully you run for one of these open positions, you know, that come up because it's important to have varying conversations and a diversity of, of thought and beliefs. And when you think about these local positions, I mean, these are the positions where you tend to have candidates who really have strong stories or passionate stories about, you know, something that happened to them or their or their kids, you know, in the school. So that tends to really sway voters. Um, voters want to hear from candidates who have a story, who, who are passionate about making change. 
you know, so whether it's the school board or or maybe a, a spending issue with the select board, that's gonna, really going to energize voters is to hear that story about why you want to serve. And that tends to sway votes. Absolutely. Having a good story always, always does. So Amy, and again, I don't want to get into because, you know, we're not going to we're not going to pull out our crystal balls right now. We can do that separately over a glass of wine and and see, you know, who's running in 2024 nationally and all that fun stuff. But more importantly, for purposes of the stuff I love doing in in telling your own story and encouraging folks to run for office and maybe not even ready to run yet, but get involved in either politics or advocacy, what are your kind of top three things that you've taken away in your career? And now as being party chair, what suggestions do you have? Communication, I think is really important. So just talking about communication and transparency, I mean, I I kind of, you know, put them together. You just talk about what you're, what you're dealing with and what you want to do. And even if you don't know what you want to do, you know, you can say, I don't know yet, but here's why I don't know. And I hope to know in 30 days, 60 days. And here's what I'm what I'm doing to get to that point. So not hesitating to say if you don't know something, but also communicating, you know, your goals and, and, and visions. And then, you know, I would just say go with your gut, frankly, is another thing, kind of a life lesson that I've learned. You know, if you're hesitating on something, you don't, you can't decide, do you want to do it or not, or what the right thing is, you know, just listen to your gut. You know, that usually will tell you that the best, best way to go and the best way to proceed. That's another kind of lesson that I've learned. It's so funny. It's, it's so maybe because we're women in politics, but it sounds so basic, right? It's like, be a good communicator, be transparent, go with your gut. Right. It just it sounds like what we would tell our our kids or our friends, you know, in a job interview or or going along in life and, and leaving the house. Yet I'm sitting here kind of giggling to myself because I feel like that's so lost in politics these days. Right. It's like they're terrible communicators. Everyone has an ego. There's such a lack of transparency in pretty much everything that happens. You can't trust anyone. Everyone's so cynical these days about politicians. And God, I mean, if some of these people actually trusted their gut, (laughs) we should just all be authentic. You have to be authentic. I mean, you can't, you know, you're not going to fool people for very long if if you're not authentic. It's it's so true. Uh, Amy, it is such a breath of fresh air to have you as the new Massachusetts Republican Party chair. Honestly, my hope for you is you get as much out of this position as I feel I got out of the position, meeting friends, chairman friends all over the country, knowing that you're not alone in your struggles and your fights, but also keeping the faith and and looking forward and saying, you know what, there's light at the end of the tunnel and there's something amazing that you can do, but it takes a special type of person. And I, I think that you're it. So congratulations on the new position. 
Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me there. I will say that, you know, there are days where and I wonder, okay, what, where is the light? <laughs> <laughs> but those are getting fewer and fewer. And there's more days where I say, you know, this is the right thing. You know, this is necessary. And, you know, I'm glad I'm doing it. Yeah, it's cosmic. It's like the stars and the sun and the moon and the water all need to, <laughs> all yeah. need to line up together in blue states. But, but I think, you know, it's also... It's messaging, right? It's, I think, the opportunities that we have as Republicans these days to message are just so numerous, right? There are just so many ways to go because you just see what's going on on the left. And it's like, I can't actually believe that they believe what they're talking about because it almost seems so outrageous and like out of a sci-fi novel, that things have gone off the rails and not that Republicans don't have our own crazies. We just eliminated one as party chair, you know, that people are just so far off in their own universe on the right. But I think Massachusetts Republicans and a lot of blue state Republicans have really great messaging right now on the economy, on crime, on inflation, right? I mean, I just think that we have so much to talk about that, isn't nasty. It's not mean spirited. It's not fake news. And it's stuff that really impacts people, whether it's you're looking at your IRA or you are, you know, looking to buy a home and interest rates are outrageous. You're putting food on the table. You know, you see how expensive eggs are. Affordability in general. I mean, it's just crazy trying to support a family or even yourself. I mean, it's becoming more and more difficult. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, we want to create jobs and we want to create opportunities. And and I don't know when I hear on the left things like equity and equality. And I'm like, yeah, well, when interest rates, home mortgage interest rates are where they are and you're a first time home buyer, I don't know how that's being fair. Right. And so they can talk about it, but they're the ones that are allowing the economy to go, you know, the inflation to get out of control and the economy to crash and and not providing opportunities for people to actually get to work. And and that to me is like the hip the hypocrisy. And I think it gives us a really great opportunity to kind of blast forward on we're picking people up by the bootstraps and showing you a path and teaching you to fish and getting you on a path of generational wealth. And that's what the, you know, American dream is about. So I think you have great days ahead of you. Well, thank you. I appreciate your support and um, appreciate all that you do to communicate to your listeners as well. Thank you. Well, I try. I'm a wise guy. And sometimes I get hate mail, but that's okay. I don't care. It's my podcast. No one has to listen. (laughs) 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 Um, I'm joking. I love you, listener. And I'm so happy you listened to me. And Amy, thank you very much. I hope that you come back and I hope that we can talk about some juicy policies and messaging and um, hopefully candidates at some point. But we have to start with re-messaging. So I know I know you're getting there. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you, Look forward to joining you and your listeners again soon. Thank you very much. This was Amy Carnavale speaking with me, Jennifer Nassor, on Political Contessa. And for you, thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you stay happy, healthy, and safe. Take care. 
Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Thank you.